I'm Jonathan Polevsky, and I have the pleasure of welcoming into the studio Gabriela Lina Frank, composer of Inca Dances and guitarist Manuel Verueco. So, Gabriela, tell me, uh, for starters, how this uh, collaboration came about. Where did you meet? Well, actually, maybe I should pass it along to Manuel because... Uh, you sought out her, if I... Uh... <coughs> uh, it was my fault. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was, with the Quarteto Latinoamericano, you know, when we finally decided we were going to make two CDs, the, the one that we already spoken about, of Piazzolla and Wasabino, and then the second one with new pieces, we needed another composer. And Saul, you know, the first one, immediately said, Oh, Gabriela. I said, wait a minute, because just Miguel Hart Bedoya, the conductor, had just told me like the week before about Gabriela. So, so I, wrote, I wrote an email to her and I, and I said something like, you know, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Everybody's talking to me about you. And, and luckily she saw the humor in it. And so we talked and, and here we are. And she wrote a, the quintet, a beautiful piece. And... Now, you've been in town recently trying to sort of figure out more things about about the guitar. So I'm assuming that when you wrote the piece, it, that this was uh, kind of a stretch for you to write for this instrument. This is the first time I've written for guitar. Uh, and uh, I get kidded by my family. I'm a bad Latina. Yeah, I waited this long before I actually wrote for La Guitarra. But a lot of my music evokes the sounds of the guitar. So finally, I was able to get into it. What were your expectations of what it would be like? And what were the results like? Well, what I did first was um, in the initial emails with Manuel, I asked him to recommend some pieces. I asked him to uh, advise on what kind of guitar I could buy. I needed to just physically get my hands on an instrument. So it started very, very fundamentally just from with the basics. And that's my initial approach to writing for any instrument that's unfamiliar to me, especially if I just have an armchair understanding of the instrument. It's not something I've written for and uh, then what progressed next was to actually meet him. And so the first time we actually met was in January of this past year. It seemed familiar to me already, mm-hmm. you know, from the, as you know, from the humor of the, in the emails. And, and uh, the first meeting was just simply him playing for me and talking out loud, which is more informative than getting a straight-up concert. I go to a lot of concerts. I've gone to a lot of guitar concerts. But to get to set two feet away have somebody slow the music down, show you the different possibilities. You get an X-ray vision into the music. And this, I remember very specific passages. He copied music for me from his private library, went home and did some study and started to spin out some, some music from that. What music did you recommend to Gabriela? I was just trying to remember that. <laughs> uh-huh. God, I can't remember. You, I remember, actually, she brought up Barrios. I mean, she, mm-hmm. she, you, yeah, it seemed like you I became seen, fascinated from uh, Paraguay, mm-hmm. Agustin Barrios. Mm-hmm. And partly, this is true for a lot of composers, we start with the material that's available. And there's a lot of material available, recordings available, even of, of Barrios himself playing. Yeah. So I started with the Barrios uh, recordings of him playing his own music. Then I had to bring it to a master like Manuel to actually bring it to life in front of my eyes and to explain what's what's going on. I think what's what's really interesting is uh, is how idiomatic the piece ended up. You know mm-hmm. how it it really felt like you you had done your homework. You mm-hmm. know, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that in a pejorative way that it was academic. It really felt very idiomatic. Yeah. It felt it felt like uh, you had come to a meeting of the minds on what was possible, but you don't want it to only be what's possible because you also want to maybe push your guitarist virtuoso to something maybe that you wouldn't have thought of as a player. Well, yeah, well, that's, that's one of the aspects of it. You know, I mean, that's sort of what we're talking about 
to because sometimes people that don't know the instrument can come up with new views of the instrument and can come up with in, new possibilities and, and specific views of the instruments where often the opposite can also happen that people that write for the guitar they know the instrument too well they become limited by those mm -hmm. preconceptions of what is possible and what isn't but having said that, I mean, I think uh, I don't think I don't think it said anything to you. I think it was all playable. I don't remember any. Uh... Actually, I remember when I sent over the PDF of the first movement. Was it just yeah. for solo guitar? This new mm -hmm. work that we did, mm -hmm. um, and it was funny because he wrote back right away, and I got uh, very complimentary, and a, I think a feeling of relief. Also, I could see that it was very playable. There were a couple of chords yeah. that he just wanted to say, "This note's not going to ring." And because I have to stop it, he explained and made total sense. But the solutions he came up with uh, were absolutely in the spirit of the music, improve the music. Now, people are always interested to know, like, how things are transmitted. So I assume, did you use a symphonale or... Uh, I'm very old-fashioned in that I write, write on pen and paper. Partly, and Manuel and I were talking about this. Uh, because uh, if you write into finale, there are certain things, or into any computer software program... There are certain things that are easy to do, and you start writing using that vocabulary. We call it factory sounds or factory composing. So I can look at a score, and I can tell if a composer is a finale mm -hmm. composer. That they oh, write into it. There are just certain patterns that are easy to do, and other things are just a pain in the tuchus that you don't try and do. So it's better to not think about that. And uh, after the fact, I will get it into into a software program just for the for readability issues. Yeah, how's your handwriting? It's Pretty awful. I also write in a shorthand. Uh -huh. So my shorthand is something only I can understand, which I, I can quickly get music down. Um, I have this system of no heads. A backward no head is sharp or mm -hmm. straight up. It's just natural. Forward slanting is flat. So I don't oh, write down all of the. I don't write down all of the, the rhythms. I just place it out. So other people, even my engravers, can't decipher it. So I have to recopy it out again to give it to them. Now, you're in a room with uh, three other people, all of whom play guitar, and I'm curious um, what it was like for you to pick up a guitar. What, the first thing I did was I realized, oh, my God, these things are huge. My hands can't stretch. So then I had to go and trade back in my guitar and get a three-quarter size. That was the first thing. The That's second kind of thing endearing. Was, was I'm a pianist, and mm -hmm. I play a lot. I play a lot of uh, Bartok or a certain kind of uh, virtuoso repertoire. And what started happening, and I improvise a lot, so what started happening was I started trying to improvise on the guitar. The, the sounds were starting to come right away. The basic principles of playing, of something getting loosened up in you when you get your fingers on an instrument hold, hold true for other instruments. I used to play violin, so I was trying some violin uh, fingerboard positions and then also started realizing I have a long distance to go before I'm as fluent as I want to be on this instrument. If I can pluck the string and it sounds so gorgeous to me, I know I have to write music that lends itself well in the hands of somebody who really speaks through the instrument. Manuel, what was rehearsal like? The, the the rehearsals were fine, especially the first movement, you know, I mean, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> the quartet, they were very happy with the first movement. Actually, maybe for people that are listening that don't realize that the first movement is really just a solo guitar piece. So the only problems that were there were technical, you know, <laughs> And the second movement actually had a couple of, of tricky moments. There are a couple of places when they become more interesting rhythmically by using certain devices. And my guess, I think it's fair to say that intent is to create a certain interest, a, a certain unpredictability of the rhythm, create, you know, 
but that also has the same effect on the players. So it also confuses us as well, you know. So so it requires that we stay concentrated and, and counting, you know, throughout. Although the second movement, I I, I was telling him that I see I see it more as a ballet. <laughs> I see it like almost like a children's ballet, you know. The whole piece, the Inca dancers, is uh, my reimagining uh, a clan group that was important to Inca royalty, known as the Panaca. Panaca is almost like a death cult in which previous Inca kings, their mummies were preserved and their families stayed alive. You know, the descendants of the family would uh, sort of rule still, even though there was a new king in place. So as time went on, it got very complicated when you had each generation with their kings and their respective Panacas. So at important times of the year, each of these Panacas would have their time in the sun, so to speak, to at rituals to bring out their mummy and who was supposed to ritualistically give a dance, and they would carry him around. And uh, there is documentation from chroniclers at the time of the conquest talking about this very unusual thing that, that was part of yeah. this, this strange culture. So the first movement is a lamento, and it's the, the lament that this guy is dead, the king is dead. And the second one is when they bring him out. And so he ritualistically comes to life, and he starts posturing, and he's talking about the great battles that he won. So it's, it's a very thumpy kind of dance and um, almost comical. And something that Manuel and I were talking about is, I was telling him part of my, my imagining of this was from El Dia de los Muertos Festival, Day of the Dead Festival. It's celebrated around Halloween in many countries in which everybody's dressed up as a, as a, a skeleton and goes around pretending to be a skeleton. And, and I imagine this. Um, and there's a magical moment where he has a, a moment of repose. He turns his back to his audience and uh, consults with his own spirit, and then he's he's ferocious again. And so the dictated form, it appears, it starts off, of the second movement, it starts off strong, it goes into this strange atmospheric middle section that's mostly Manuel, and then leaves, exits the music with a strong dance, rhythmic, and I've been using the word gnarly, which is just dissonant and, and kind of crunchy like, like later Bartok. Um, and it is a ballet. You know, I could see this being reenacted for, like you say, uh, as a children's mm -hmm. ballet. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious. I have to ask you this. Uh, have you ever had a piece, either through a commission or just uh, through circumstances beyond your control, you weren't happy with? To be honest, if I, if I was, and I probably wouldn't admit it here, but not really. And uh, but keep in mind that uh, that I have really asked or commissioned many pieces at all. If, if, in fact, just very few. I think one has to be very careful who you ask to write a piece. And, and I'm not about to ask somebody to write a piece that I'm not pretty damn sure that I'm going to like what I'm going to hear. I'm probably not going to take many chances that way. Or, you know, so, so by the time I ask somebody, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that if, even if it's not the greatest piece, I'm still going to like it. You know? But people must come to you. Well, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do, get, I do get a lot of, I get actually quite a number of pieces that weigh a lot of pieces. And, and uh, but I'm not commenting on those. I'm just mm -hmm. I'm just talking about the ones that that I asked for. You know? Have you ever found one that was a gem? Well, uh, if if I say no, what does that say about the people that have sent me stuff? But but uh, well, it also says you're a busy guy. Yeah. No, I can tell you one thing. I do I do look at them. Sometimes it's more more difficult to tell, especially if they're more contemporary. You know, more kind of avant garde kind of music. You know, and uh, and sometimes I wonder with some of them if I really have accurately assess, you know, how good pieces they are, but I try the best that I can. Mm -hmm. you know? I think it's really interesting looking at the evolution of the guitar of the guys like Segovia and Bream 
uh, especially who so much music has written for, I mean, and basically established a whole new repertoire for the instrument. I mean, yeah. their lives must have been very much enriched by this, I think, in a lot of ways. I think it ways. is. I, th I, think it's, it's, I think it's a great process. It's, it's creating something that wasn't there before. You know, it's looking forward to it. It's, it's making it happen and see how people react. And, and if it's a successful experience, it's really, really quite rewarding. For the guitar specifically, we're in need of, of really good pieces and, and good concertos as well. But the only piece of music that just because of its 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 effect on the public is is asked for is is the Aranjuez, is the concerto Aranjuez. That's the one. The orchestras are gonna play it and they need a guitarist to play it. But other than that, you know, for example, if if the the let's say I play the Rodrigo with an orchestra and they ask me to play again, now I need to suggest a piece. Mm -hmm. And then we'd run a bit into trouble. I've I've been lucky that I've also been collaborating with Roberto Sierra in recent times, you know, and and he's written some really those are nice. Really Both of those are nice, really effective pieces, yeah. you know. So I am not only comfortable, I even encourage the orchestras to play these pieces. And I cannot say that for too many pieces in the repertoire before, nice as they may be. And these I, are the folios, right? Folios uh, and the, the concerto Barro, and now the the dances nice. concertantes. You know, also in my opinion, some of the best concertos for guitar. Of the past, one of the best pieces is is the Richard Ronnie Bennett Concerto. I think that's one of the finest pieces, but it's not going to get played, mm -hmm, right? It's not not right. by a symphony, especially because it's just for guitar and just a few instruments. Maybe you know? in England, and that's and about it, well, it. And it could get played here, but but a symphony is no normally it's not going to hire you to 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 perform a concerto that takes about what is it like twelve, fifteen musicians. It's probably not going to happen because unfortunately there have been some pieces uh, written in the past that great pieces as, as they may be. For example, like the, the Royal Winter Music of Hensa, which is a piece that I, I'm going to work one day. I think it's one of my favorites. But it, it's a piece of music that it will be hard to program. You know, it's, it's a very difficult piece for, for an audience. It's probably something more that one may want to take home in, in, in a CD, perhaps, and listen to it carefully many times, you know. But there's a lot of music being written today or can be written today that, that will be both great in quality and, and still be accessible enough to an audience that we can still enjoy it without sacrificing quality. Interesting. Wow. So <laughs> I, I, think, I think for us, this is a time that we need to take advantage of. Interesting. 